This is Wayne Goldsmith, and welcome to Sports Thoughts. I've spent 25 years traveling the world, working with some of the world's best athletes, coaches, and teams, trying to discover what it is that they do, how they think, and what it takes to be the best in sport. Subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com to keep up to date with my thoughts on sport. Welcome to Wayne's World. It's Wayne's World with Wayne Goldsmith. From the stunning Gold Coast of Australia, it is our coaching guru, Wayne Goldsmith. Good morning, Wayne. Morning, morning. How are you going, Piney? Very well, thanks, my friend. WGcoaching.com is Wayne's website. You can text any questions through to 5009 while we are chatting. Uh, interesting topic today, as they always seem to be. Wayne, and this is uh, off the back of a, uh, a news article you sent through to us regarding the Gymnastics National Centre of Excellence in Melbourne, where it's alleged that brutal punishments are being inflicted on young gymnasts in Melbourne, children, among other things, forced to do handstands until their arms give out, swing from bars until their hands bleed, and it's also alleged that children as young as eight were regularly verbally and physically abused. Is this sort of thing ever okay? No, and, and look, I don't think it ever was okay. What I will say, it was probably more common and more accepted in the 70s, maybe in the 1980s, because we didn't really know better. It was based on the theory of training where more was better and pushing kids harder taught them lessons and it made them more mentally tough and it was a really prominent and a, and a very common coaching philosophy in all those big time commitment sports like gymnastics and diving and rowing and swimming and distance training and so on where everything you did was associated with pushing the kids harder and harder and look, really thankfully Piney a lot of that's been broken now it's, it's uncommon to see it but sadly I've got to tell you I still do see it in different parts of the world and in many, many sports. But um, when I read that, I thought, surely not. Surely somebody is not still training kids that way and believing that it's got anything at all to do with helping the kids get better. I can only imagine, Wayne, that they're doing it because they believe that it will reap rewards in terms of results. So if, for example that coaches like this had had success in the past, would there be any argument that the ends always justify the means? And look, that's the base argument. And, and look, going back, there were some, some, some great writers and great philosophers in endurance sport. You had that great brain, Arthur Lydiard, one of the most influential thinkers in endurance sport anywhere in the world. We had a guy called Forbes Carlisle in swimming who wrote about the importance of doing enormous amounts of work. There were guys in the US. There was a period in the 60s and the 70s where that was the way to go. And people keep will refer back to that and say, you know, in the old days, and I've become my father, I say that sometimes to my kids, and they <laughs> say, too. oh, in the old days, they used to train real hard. In the old days, they used to... And, and, and particularly if you've had athletes who were successful in the old days, it becomes easy to say, well, that's the way that Peter Snell used to train. That's the way that Dick Cracks used to train. Or in Australia, we say, oh, well, that's the way they used to train the swimmers in the 70s and 80s. 
and they were successful and therefore go back. But I often say to people, yeah, and we use fax machines and we didn't have smartphones and most people had black and white TVs and we, we thought bacon and eggs seven days a week was the way to go. Yeah, sure, those things were around, but we've changed it. We know so much more about sport now. We always hear that you should work hard, that, you know, you put the hard work in. But that, these days, as you've outlined in the last three or four minutes, doesn't always mean doing more physical activity, does it? No, it doesn't. And one of the stories I like to tell, finally, when I do my tours and when I talk to parents and, and coaches is to say that when you watch someone like Michael Phelps train or when you watch an elite athlete actually train side by side, you're standing there and you're watching that the, the training session that their coach has written down is just a combination of numbers and letters. But then the athlete themselves, and this is the key, the athlete themselves makes a decision. They choose to be extraordinary. And I often tell people it's a little bit like the ABC story that if you give 100 kids some homework to do, some of them will do absolute minimum standard. Some of them will do just above minimum standard. And two or three kids in every group of 100 will do more than anyone else. It'd be beautifully set out. They hand it in early. And they've, they've made the decision that the simple task of doing homework is going to be extraordinary because they chose to do it. And when I talk to coaches about this topic, Piney, I say to them, look, guys, it's still about working hard and it's still about giving more in everything you do. There are no shortcuts. There are no tricky things you can buy or drink or pieces of equipment that, that will give you a guaranteed shortcut. But the trick now is inspiring the athletes to choose to be extraordinary and to choose to work hard. That's really where we are now. I'm sure anybody who's played top-level sport will tell you that it's tough. It's really tough. And you have to be, as a result, tough in order to compete and succeed at the top level. So how do you toughen kids up? Yeah, great question. Well, one thing you don't do is just force them to do push-ups till their arms fall off or make them do laps every time they're, they're cheeky. Now, that's a, a good question. The old way of doing mental toughness training, the old way of doing mental toughness training was just to say, all right, if they've got to play a 40-minute half, we'll do our training for 50 minutes. So we'll make them train harder than the competition they're heading for. And at elite level, certainly at elite level, that principle, making training more challenging and more demanding than the competition you're preparing for, that principle still runs all the way through. That, that doesn't change. But in terms of mental toughness now, what we, we talk to kids about is that mental toughness is the ability for you to continue to do your job, to do the role that you've got to play for the team, no matter what happens to you. And I'll give you a really good example, Pony, that we know what happens, for example, when kids make a mistake. Some kids will immediately go, oh, well, made a mistake, move on, or their teammates will rush in and say, hey, it doesn't matter, let's move on. Other kids... When they make a mistake, they drop a ball, they miss a tackle, they miss a shot. Other kids will effectively punish themselves and they'll, you know, they'll sulk or they'll drop out of a defensive line or they'll continue to carry the burden of that mistake. When we talk about toughness now, we talk about teaching them and showing them the skills of resilience so that whether they make a mistake or if they get a little bit of a knock or if they make an error or if they give away a penalty... We teach them that toughness is really their mental ability to say, okay, that happened, uh, I've made an error, doesn't matter, I'm going to make up for it now, I'm going to do better, I'll move on and just focus on 
what's coming. And we do a lot of stuff now called mindfulness training, which is about living in the moment, about not worrying about the past, not thinking about what's coming next, about living in and just concentrating on what's happening right now. And that's really what mental toughness is. It's all about young athletes, senior athletes. It's about their ability to continue to do what they need to do for the team or for themselves, no matter what's happened to them or what's happening around them. You talked a little bit there about uh, about punishing athletes, and I guess the idea is to use that as a deterrent if you're punished in some way for doing something wrong or for not not uh, putting in 100% effort or whatever it is, like laps or press-ups or whatever it might be, uh, then that would deter you from doing that again. But, but I mean, should coaches be punishing their athletes in that way? Oh, absolutely not. And there's, it's, look, when you talk to school teachers, and I'm lucky that uh, when I, my wife's a school teacher and a psychologist and a school guidance counsellor, and we're, we're talking about this this morning, funny enough, that when I know that the show's on that, um, we kick ideas around and... I, and just um, And I said, well, in school teaching, where are you guys at? Because I know where we are with coaching. And the line that, that we talked, she talked about this morning was natural consequences. And the example that she gave was that if you've got a kid who, for example, is throwing stuff all around a classroom and trying to destroy a classroom, the old days was, uh, I mean, way back, the horrible old days was things like the cane and the just ridiculous things. But then it sort of moved on to, you know, getting to sit in the corner or, timeouts or uh, it was removing them from the setting and, and went through a phase there. But they now talk about natural consequences, which is to say, all right, when everybody else is gone, you stay back and you help clean up the room. The consequence of your behavior is naturally connected to the thing that you did wrong. Where And that makes a lot of sense to me because then they've said, all right, if I do this behavior, if I choose to demonstrate this unruly behaviour and disruptive behaviour, my consequence is directly connected to helping to reverse and helping to overcome the situation that I myself created. So there needs to be a connection between the the, the consequence, not punishment, we say consequence, between the consequence and the behaviour. Now, if you translate that through to uh, swimming, for example, if you've got a kid that's misbehaving, is being a bit unruly, who's disrupting the training session, the old way of thinking, which has taught kids to hate butterfly, the old way of thinking was swimming coaches used to say, all right, because you're disrupting my session, you'll now do 500 metres of butterfly as punishment. So that was very, very commonly used. And it was awful because it turned the kids off butterfly. And secondly, it taught them to hate swimming and taught them to hate hard work. So what we tend to teach coaches now, say, all right, what's a natural consequence of that behaviour, where they're not doing what you've asked them to do when you know it's important for them to get better, the consequence needs to be directly related to that so that there's an understanding that if I make that decision, if I exhibit that behaviour, it will lead to directly to that consequence. So with it switch from punishment through pain to consequence through understanding. Just want to go off on a little side angle here, and that's about um, just in general, um, uh, any disciplining or punish, punishing kids. Um, my son, for example, loves his football, and so one possible punishment I could give him if he was naughty at home would say, OK, well, you're not going to football this week, which he would be quite disappointed about. But I, I feel very um, uh, unwilling to uh, punish my kids by denying them exercise. Uh, <laughs> I'd rather say, well, you can't go on Fortnite for a week. 
for example. Um, do, but do, <laughs> do you think do you think people still? Uh, it's there. I don't know. It just doesn't seem right to to um to punish your kids by denying them exercise. Yeah, and I tend to agree with you, Pliny. I've had the same discussions in my house many, many, many times over the years. And look, that's a natural response from parents and from school teachers and from coaches is at that moment in time, you've tried being rational, you've tried logic, you've tried talking them through, sometimes you've tried bribery, you've tried a whole bunch of things. And the natural response is to say, well, I'm going to remove from you the one thing that I know that you really enjoy doing. And as you say, quite often with parents, and I can't tell you how many parents talk to me about Fortnite during a recent New Zealand tour, it would certainly become a, a, a source of frustration for a lot of parents on how to deal with it. But that's been a natural consequence, if you like, where parents have said, all right, we know that you like Fortnite and we know that you like playing sport, therefore I'm going to deny that to you to teach you a lesson. I think you've got to wind back with the, the, the sport example because certainly with some kids we know kids with uh, anxiety, kids with ADHD, kids that have got some emotional issues, kids that only ever connect with other kids through sport, denying them that one thing that may help them physically, mentally and emotionally isn't always a good move. It's not a smart move. I think, and two, probably the hardest thing to do is in the, the, the intensity of the moment and the anger and the stress that you're feeling is to find a way as a parent, coach, is to take a big breath and say, all right, I need to be the rock here. I need to be the sensible person. I need to be the person who's showing some common sense and not overreacting to the moment, not overreacting to the child's behaviour. I think in, you've got to have, and, and look, I can um, explain it probably through when you, you're working with an elite team. An elite team at the beginning of the year will sit down and say, okay, guys, what are the standards, what are the behavioural standards that we will agree to and comply with over the season? And they come up with a set of consequences. I say, all right, if you're late to training, consequence will be um, a $50 fine and some community service. If you break the alcohol curfew, your consequence could be that you miss a game, there's community services, a $500 fine, and you go to alcohol counselling. You know, teams will come up with a whole range of consequences for behaviour that they agree with. So I encourage parents and coaches to say, all right, try to develop a model that you say, all right, if the kids are not doing that, what will the consequence be? But have it pre-planned rather than being reactionary. So that way, when you've got little Johnny or Susie being disruptive and being annoying, being destructive, instead of you reacting and jumping and saying, that's it, you're not going to football, say, all right, in my mind as the adult, as the mature, sensible one in the room, Consequence one is bang. Consequence two is bang. And make sure they're aware of the consequences that will flow from their behaviour. But it's tough that yeah, parents, coaches try to have some sort of consequence framework in their mind and put that into place logically and calmly and sensible when the behaviour happens. All right, let's bring it back to a positive to uh, to finish and, and the right way of doing things when you're coaching kids. You've uh, written in notes to me here, it's about partnering with the kids, uh, inspiring them to choose to be successful, to choose to work hard. It's it's very collegial by the sounds of things. So is that the, the takeaway really, that you've got to get alongside young athletes in particular and, and make them want to choose the, the positive way? Absolutely. And the, the bottom line, Pine, I'll say to coaches now is it's not about you. It's about them. 
And even if you believe in relentless hard work and even if you want to be on the national team or even if you want to be an All Blacks head coach, it's about them. And the key is two, uh, two steps. First step is to understand why the athlete is there. If the athlete's just there to have a good time and just loves hanging out with their mates, they're not the athletes who are going to say, yeah, I'm going to give everything, I'm going to work relentlessly, I want to be the best of the best. So you don't coach them that way. The athletes over here, maybe, if they've said, coach, I desperately want to be an all-black, I want to be a fern, I want to represent New Zealand, what is it going to take? They're the ones that you coach that way. So you coach instead of a way that you've decided you're going to coach everybody one size fits all. It's one size fits one. What does this athlete want? What's their motivation? What are their needs? And I will coach them according to their needs. You'd be surprised that simple change, Piney, from making it about you to making it about them, that simple philosophical change solves almost every coaching problem you will ever have. It's where you've got a set of things that you want and a set of beliefs that you've got and you try to apply it to every kid regardless of their motivation. That's where we run into trouble. And where you've got kids who say, you know what, I want to be the best, I want to be extraordinary, I want to be exceptional. Then you say, okay, now let's talk about what choices do you need to make to be extraordinary? And I talk about that decision you've got to make between doing things the easy way or the hard way, that in any given situation, an athlete who is committed to excellence, when they're given a choice between doing things the easy way or the hard way, the committed athlete chooses the hard way. And what you do, you coach them that when they come to a point in their training or their racing or their, their competitions, where they've got to make a decision to do things the easy way or the hard way, the committed athlete, the one who says, coach, I want to be extraordinary, they choose the hard way. They themselves make the choice to do that little bit extra. And that simple change, Pioneer, as I said, if you make it about them and their needs and their motivation, it changes everything. Such great advice, as per usual, Wayne. Thanks, as always, for your time. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll uh, chat again next Wednesday. Looking forward to it, going fishing this afternoon. Any day that you're going to fish is always a good day. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more sports thoughts, subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com.